This episode of Practical Significance is brought to you by Side Effects. When we say side effects, we're not talking about those distressing lists of things drug commercials point out. And we're not talking about songs by Mariah Carey or The Chainsmokers or a movie starring Rooney Mara, Jude Law, Channing Tatum, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. No, no, those are all pretty good, but that's not what we're talking about. Here we want to bring to your attention the potential side effects of doing research involving statistics without engaging with a professional statistician. Potential side effects include wasted resources, insufficient power, faulty or misleading results, faulty or misleading conclusions, rejected publications, rejected grant proposals, embarrassment, depression, trouble sleeping, questioning your life choices, and many more. Why risk these side effects when you can make the simple choice to bring a statistician into your project early and completely? Looking for a statistician? Try the American Statistical Association. And now, let's join the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Practical Significance, a podcast to inspire listeners with compelling stories from statistics and data science and to propel data-driven careers forward. Here are your hosts, the ASA's Director of Strategic Initiatives, Donna Lalone, and Executive Director, Ron Wasserstein. Well, welcome everyone. We're back at it again. So another month has passed. And today on Practical Significance, we are thinking globally. And so we have two wonderful folks with us to think a little bit internationally. And so as always, we recognize that our guests have day jobs. And so we'll start by asking them to introduce themselves and tell a little bit about their day job. And so, Afia, I'll start with you. First of all, I'd like to thank Ron and Donna for the opportunity to be on the Practical Significance podcast. It really is an honor. I am a recent senior data analytics consultant alumna of the Deloitte U.S. firms, where I served for almost five years across two tenures. I belong to the strategy and analytics offering portfolio and within the artificial intelligence and data engineering wing. In this capacity, I worked with the Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs as a senior analyst within the Program Assessment Division or PAD and the Enterprise Risk Management Team or ERM team. Some highlights of my contributions included developing a stratified random sampling scheme for PAD and helped ERM to respond to Freedom Information Act request. Deloitte always believed in firm initiatives and marketplace initiatives. And so I contributed to the Women in Data initiative by the first woman chief data officer of the government and public sector. I also participated in a team looking for answers to Black attrition at the firm and participated in CDX Explore, a soft skills training by senior managers and senior consultants to help consultants navigate the firm. And in particular, partnered with a nonprofit committee called Step Up DC that helped develop a strategic communications plan for my nonprofit, Coders Who Travel. I'm currently planning my next career move. And in the meantime, I'm giving back through my nonprofit, Coders Who Travel. My duties in the day include planning agendas and leading 
monthly board member meetings, finding and bringing together seasoned experts, particularly data scientists and lead technology analysts from reputable institutions like Federal Reserve Board, U.S. Census Bureau, SAS Institute, and AT&T to teach Python programming, SAS slash SAS via in our programming skills. My duties also include partnering with three women, Angela, Ikuya, and Nabia, who are co-directors of Women Who Code Accra, a chapter of a global nonprofit organization in San Francisco, California, that I founded in Accra, Ghana in November 2015. So thank you for that question, Donna. Absolutely. And we will dig into coders who travel in a moment. But first, we want Ingrid to uh, tell us about your day job. Thanks. I'm Ingrid Tranke-Alagom. And so, uh, Ron and Donna, very much thank you for this invitation. So I did my PhD in 98 at the University of Hasselt, which is in Belgium. Currently, I'm professor of statistics at the KU Leuven in Belgium. And I'm also part-time professor at UC Louvain, which is another university in Belgium. I do research in many aspects of survival analysis. That's my main research area. But I also work in areas like non- and semi-parametric regression, instrumental variable methods to do causal inference, measurement error problems, quantile regression, goodness of fit tests, and similar topics. My work is mostly methodological, but I also work on applied uh, projects in medicine and economics. And all this is together with about 10 PhD students that I currently uh, supervise. At my university, I'm also responsible for the Master of Statistics and Data Science. And this master attracts actually many international students uh, from all over the world. So I think that's, in a nutshell, (laughs) my daily activities. Thanks very much for those responses. You're both doing fascinating things, and we're going to drill down a little bit on some of them. So, Afia, you mentioned Coders Who Travel. Could you tell us a bit about why you started it? And also, are there opportunities for listeners, for ASA members, to get involved? Thank you for both questions, Ron. Coders Who Travel Incorporated is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that I founded in December 2016 with a mission to inspire and advance the careers of coders, that is computer, mathematical, and statistical programmers, emerging markets like Ghana, and in underserved communities in advanced countries like the United States. My motivation for starting Coders Who Travel Incorporated was to find coders like myself who are willing to drop everything and go overseas for two to three weeks to give back to students, early career professionals, faculty, and C-suite executives by nurturing coding hubs, coding boot camps, and other technology initiatives. However, when the pandemic dawned on humanity, we realized that virtual meetings got some of the job done. For instance, we launched the virtual coding boot camps in Python, SAS, slash SAS, Vire, and R for U.S. military veterans, Deloitte practitioners, and students at the University of Ghana, which is still underway. Even still, we wanted to host conferences that brought together our members, particularly the core active volunteers, 
together with bridge builders and experts. With the help of a Jewish attorney called Julian, I became aware that a great gap exists in funding from sponsors and budgets of companies in developing countries when compared to sponsors and company budgets in advanced countries. Similarly, a gap existed in operations since bridge builders, that is, people who know both the context of developing and advanced countries were needed to bridge the gap in the technology education alongside experts in advanced countries. This is what we call the bridge builder framework at Codesu Travel. So that is the hope of Codesu Travel to close the financial and operational gaps for individuals and organizations seeking to make impact via the bridge builder framework in emerging markets like Ghana and underserved communities in advanced countries like the United States. And yes, there are many opportunities for ASA members to become involved as core volunteers and staff, bridge builders, experts, and even monthly sponsors. We frequently need office spaces, advantage points to reach our beneficiaries during in-person events. We need call volunteers to be trained to deploy solutions to meet demands of our clients. We need professionals with exposures to both developing and developed countries to be bridge builders who give insights to what works and also lead the boots on the ground approaches needed to make a difference. We need experts serving as our board members, advisors, curriculum developers for various programming languages monitoring and evaluation specialists, and business and development managers. We also need more heartfelt connectors who help spread the word about the work that we do on a monthly basis. That is fabulous, Sophia. Thank you. And we'll make sure that we have contact information for you in the show notes so that people can reach out to you. Ingrid, you mentioned that you were doing a lot of things. Somewhere in there, you find time to be the international rep to the ASA Board of Directors. And so we wanted to ask you if you'd like to share a bit from your perspective about some initiatives you think might be important for our international members. Yeah, thanks, Ron, for this question. Let me maybe start with existing uh, initiatives and activities for our international members. So first of all, many of the webinars and podcasts are, of course, open for everyone, so including our international members. ASA also has a very important accreditation program, uh, which can also be very interesting for international members. And then there are also smaller in- initiatives, but not uh, less important, like initiatives, especially for young people, like the Data Fest, uh, which is a great initiative, I think. And then also there are existing initiatives for particularly our international members, like the recent reduction in the membership fees for developing countries, the educational ambassador program, which I think is also a very nice initiative uh, for the international members. And then the mentoring program, it's also open to everyone, including the uh, international members. Maybe things that could be thought of to make the ASA even more uh, attractive 
for international members are maybe more online events like courses for maybe PhD students or young faculty members about uh, how to set up research programs or research groups. This could also be interesting for developing countries, I think, or uh, how to write grants. These are things that are, of course, becoming more and more important. And then, yeah, maybe some some conference outside the U.S. could be very useful for our international members. Thank you for that, Ingrid. I'll throw in that for low and middle income countries, the rate to join the ASA for a year is just $10. And also, this seems like a good point to acknowledge that as we're recording this, there is a tremendous amount of suffering going on in Israel and Palestine and also continuing suffering going on in the Ukraine and elsewhere. And so our hearts really go out to the people there and especially to those who are members of our profession from those areas. So our wonderful podcast producer, Kim, is responsible for this really interesting feature in Amstat News called My ASA Story. And we thought it would be really fun to hear both of yours ASA stories today. And so we would like you to give us a brief history of how you became involved in the ASA. So tell us your ASA story. And Ingrid, I'll start with you. So my ASA story or ASA adventure started in 98. So it's exactly 25 years ago after finishing my PhD in Hasselt University in Belgium. I was hired as an assistant professor at Penn State University. And so at that moment, I immediately decided to become member of ASA. My first JSM was in 99 in Baltimore. And since then, I've attended many JSMs, not all of them, but most of them, I would say. Then for ASA, I have been chair elect and chair of the section on non-parametric statistics that was in 2017 and 2018. And actually, throughout these 25 years that I have been member of ASA, I always felt that being member of ASA gives you the opportunity to connect with many statisticians in the US and Canada, which is given the distance a little bit harder uh, if you are in Europe. I also went to many excellent conferences, and now I'm not only talking about GSM, but also smaller conferences of the sections. And then I'm particularly thinking of the sections on non-parametric statistics and lifetime data analysis, of which I'm really a big fan. (laughs) So yeah, I always had the feeling that there is something for everyone at ASA, depending on your research area, your needs, your objectives, your career path. I really love to be part of this big family. For the moment, I'm giving back a little bit by being associate editor of CHASA and, of course, as international representative of the board. So, yeah, that's my ASA story so far. (laughs) That's really fantastic. And Afia, we'll turn to you for your ASA story. Thanks, Donna. My American Statistical Association story began in, I believe, the year 2005, when I met a statistics professor called Dr. Beidou while studying in my junior year. 
or level 300, as we call it in Ghana at the University of Ghana, Ghana's first university. I had decided that I was going to quit my statistics major <laughs> that I was pursuing along my computer science major and opt for either psychology or geology following a couple of bad grades. And these two major options would require that I would complete all courses in the prior sophomore year in addition to the junior year. Even with that daunting task and prospect, I believed I had come to the end of my limits with statistics. Thank God, a course advisor who is a Ghanaian-American, my statistics professor, Dr. Beidou, introduced me to the ASA when he learned that my mother was already living in the United States. So I called my mother, who lived in Alexandria, Virginia at the time, and she said, wow, while sitting on a bus, I saw an office of the ASA, the headquarters. And so knowing that this was a very credible act, my mother will send me money, and I gave the membership fee money to my course advisor, who got me enrolled in the ASA. So I'm very delighted that the fee for developing countries is now around $10. That would be great, helping other students also get involved in the ASA. After a couple of months or so, my dad came home in Ghana with some ASA magazines, and I went to my room and began perusing the pages. I remember seeing the impact of statisticians and its involvement in the world that would come, and I resolved to continue on with my statistics major. And so you can see how such a full circle this <laughs> today's event is for me as someone who was blessed to have been connected to ASA at a very crucial time in my life. In December 2007, I attended my first ASA conference in Atlantic City, New Jersey. It was the 63rd Deming Conference on Applied Statistics. And I still have my certificate in my own home office because it's that special to me. There too, at the conference, I renewed my commitment to pursue an advanced degree in statistical science and operations research at George Mason University because I ran into people in academia and people that were working at organizations like Rand Corporation. And I knew there were some very, very sharp people. And that again, renewed my commitment to commit to an advanced degree. And happy to say about three years later, I will have the distinguished honor of completing both of my degrees and becoming the first woman to do so at George Mason University in those two particular disciplines. Another key touch point with the ASA was when I served as a, a registrant slash teaching assistant in one of the statistics trainings during the 2017 joint statistical meetings at the Baltimore Convention Center. I was given free course materials, a whole binder for my effort, and they were very relevant in my applied statistics education while working at both Deloitte and at Mathematica Policy Research. Wow, those are great stories. And those stories and the things that people share in Amstat News in the My ASA Story feature are part of the reason why it's uh, so fun for me to go to work every day. 
you both are the perfect people to ask this next question. And we'll just go ahead and start with Afia this time. Why should someone who lives outside the U.S. become a member of the ASA? So, Ron, folks outside the U.S. should become members of the ASA, particularly those in developing countries, because a lot of the emphasis when you are studying in the mathematical sciences, in my experience, and I'll say dated in the you know mid-2000s era, but through my other projects, like Coders Who Travel and Women Who Code Accra, I'm also in touch with current status of events. So there's a lot of emphasis when studying in the mathematical sciences on heavily theoretical concepts and not much on an applied emphasis, since most developing countries lack the needed funding to purchase, you know, the software, the computer laboratories and other costs that should ensure that the degrees are run to the world-class level. The real value of joining ASA is to gain the applied emphasis of statistics and data science via the various conferences, educational sessions, recommended textbooks, meeting new people in the industry, and being aware of what is in vogue in the industry and of course, also gain access to internship and employment opportunities, just like how the ASA magazines inspired me to not give up on pursuing my statistics degree. The ASA, I truly believe, can foster the academic dreams of people outside the U.S. in emerging markets. I also believe that there is real opportunity for a key block of people like U.S. military veterans who are planning their transitions to return back into the civilian workforce. You know, programming and statistics offers very lucrative careers in very in-demand fields. And so I believe around the world, these veterans who are preparing to transition into the civilian workforce can tap into the rich resources of the vast network of the ASA, particularly those outside the U.S., to know what is still in demand in data science. And I'm speaking this from experience of running the Veterans Can Code program at Coders Who Travel, where we met some veterans on their way from the military to the civilian workforce, and also who had gotten jobs at Deloitte. And after going through the Python programming bootcamp, they had great things to say about how valuable these statistical programming skills will help them in their next endeavors. And so I truly believe and strongly believe that the ASA can replicate that model too. Thank you so much, Afia. Ingrid, what say you as to why folks who live outside the country should consider becoming ASA members? There are many reasons. First, I would like to mention the fact that you will be part of a huge network of statisticians and data scientists. And that network, yeah, you get part of it by the many activities that ASA is organizing. And as I said earlier, these are not only physical activities that take place in the US, but also online activities or, or magazines. You can be part of this network in many, many ways. There is, of course, the JSM, which is uh, attracting many people, but there is much more than just the JSM. 
So depending on your area, whether you're working in, in the public sector or in academia or in industry, you will always find uh, something that is interesting for you, depending on also your objectives, your career path, whatever. There are so many activities. Uh, it's almost endless. So yeah, I mentioned the online activities, but also the podcasts, the webinars. Uh, there is the educational program, uh, ambassador program that I mentioned. And we should also not forget the awards, which are open for everyone. Uh, so also for the international members. And then, yeah, the conferences, the small conferences, but also GSM. It's, of course, as an international member, it takes a bit more effort if it's a conference in the U.S., but I always found it very worth the, the traveling to go to these conferences. And as I said, there are the sections, and for me, the sections are sometimes even more interesting because they really focus on your own research area. And these kind of sections, they are hard to find in other parts of the world. And Ingrid, I can't help but mention that last month we had folks who represented the sections on the podcast, and we put a challenge out that every member of the ASA should be a member of at least one section. So I guess I'll reiterate that challenge because totally agree with you. Those are wonderful communities. And I guess the other side of that is, is we have interest groups. And so if there's not a section or an interest group already, you could start one. So, <laughs> so that's pretty fantastic. Well, as listeners know, we have a couple of traditions on practical significance. And one is that I like to add to my podcast playlist, my movie watching list, and my to be read list by asking our guests to share either what they're watching, listening to, reading, all of the above. So Afia, I'll start with you. What's on your TBR? Thank you, Donna. So for me, when it comes to entertainment, I typically leverage YouTube to listen to Christian songs and watch sermons whenever I go for a walk or during some portions of my day to build my Christian faith. However, in recent years, I've become a composer of original Bible-based songs and 24 of them are featured on my Mending Duo music albums dubbed The Anointing Breaks the Yoke and in my native language, Asante Chi from Ghana and Gostranu Bubu in Konya. They were released in November 2022 and March 2023, respectively. And so that's my playlist. It's pretty cool to have your own organic playlist. But I do listen to hymns from, you know, the 18th century through 19th century because I attended a Methodist boarding high school just for girls in my formative years, and I learned a lot of them. Uh, and so they do come back to me once in a while. And then I enjoy American contemporary gospel music that I typically hear on radio stations like WGTS 91.9 as frequently as possible. As a result of dabbling in these music endeavors, one of my former statistics professors, I judge Mason Dr. Carr, is helping me with vocal lessons to help me improve my range and pronunciations. And so I've watched My Fair Lady, the movie, recently. My pending assignments also include listening to Esperanza Spalding's Chamber Music Society, The Spirituals of Harry T. Burley, and Les Rice Grace. I'm also doing vocal exercises from two books, Vocal Power by Joseph Arthur Samuel and The Power of Voice by Denise Woods. 
And someday I would like to publish my own two books, The God Who Sings Over Us and Raising the Standard of Our Charity Giving. And these days also being invited to contribute to articles, podcasts, panel discussions, and some recent partnerships have been with the Chief Data Officer magazine, People Who Inspire, obviously today's podcast, and very soon with the Washington, D.C. chapter of Women in Data. So that's what's happening in my life right now during my hobby ventures. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. And Ingrid, what's on your TBR? Well, I like listening to music and I usually do it when I'm driving to work in my car. <laughs> and then usually I listen to classical music, all kinds of classical music. Uh, I don't really have a preference. So that's in terms of music. And then in terms of reading, I don't really read a lot, I must say, but I definitely plan to read now about the war in Israel and Palestine, because I would like to understand much better the history of the country. Why are these problems there almost since ever? What are the big problems? What are the big tensions? I would like to understand it better. So this is definitely on my to-do list, things I want to learn and read about. Well, those are fantastic lists. And so we thank our guests for spending time with us. This has really, really been so enjoyable to have this conversation with both of you. And we will conclude with the other tradition of practical significance, and that is Ron's top 10. So I'll turn it over to Ron. Thank you, Donna. Donna, you know that we're always trying to expand the horizon of our listeners. And so I'll do that again this month with this top 10. Uh, we bring you at Practical Significance the top 10 ways to express the number 10. So these are all going to be ways to say the number 10. So number 10 is 10. Number nine is 1010. That's for binary thinkers. Number eight, log to the base 10 of 10 billion. Number seven, the atomic number of neon, though you have to be bright to figure that one out. Number six, the address on Downing Street of the British Prime Minister. The number five way to express the number 10 is two more than the number of times Larry King was married. Number four, the number of Fast and Furious movies, not counting Hobbs and Shaw and Better Luck Tomorrow. Number three, the number of women who have been president of ASA since I became executive director in 2007. And by the way, that number will increase to 13 by 2026. Number two, one more than the number of women who were president of the ASA in the 168 year history of ASA prior to 2007. No causation implied. And the number one way to express the number 10, the Roman numeral formerly known as X. Well, thank you, Practical Significance podcast listeners, for joining us. We hope you'll join us next month for our end-of-the-year episode. It's hard to believe that we're already coming to the end of our third year in this podcast. Donna and I always look forward to these conversations, so we look forward to you joining us next month. Thank you for listening to this edition of Practical Significance, the podcast of the American Statistical Association. A new episode will be coming your way next month from Amstat News, the ASA's monthly membership magazine.